Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. Good evening, everyone. How's it, everyone? My name is Reno. If we haven't met, I'm going to jump right into it tonight. Shake someone next to you and say, no faffing around tonight. Can someone complete the sentence? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Megan, you were cheating. We prayed about that earlier. Let's try again. In the year that King Uzziah died, Okay, let's try again. In the year that King Uzziah died, Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Who knows the rest of the verse? High and not exalted, lifted up. Yes, oh, perhaps another translation, so we'll give it to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now that is a really powerful sentence. Who can tell me where it's from? Oh, come on. <laughs> Thanks, Shanice. High five to you. You get that one. Isaiah chapter 6. Profound, profound scripture. We see the prophet Isaiah, who is one of the greatest prophets. They call him the Messianic prophet. Because he's the prophet that prophesied about Jesus the most times. But we see this profound moment in chapter 6. But before we see this amazing encounter that the prophet has, it says that the king Uzziah died. Now, if you know the, if you know the word, if you know the scriptures, you'll know that the Bible is very in, intentional. And the Bible often gives us clues that, that on the first read is not so obvious, but in a deeper look at it, you realize but there's, there's, there's something here. You know, there's, there's a reason why the chapter starts with the phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, who knows, knows the story of King Uzziah? Who knows anything about him? Who can remember just something? Give me something tonight, please. What, what happened to King Uzziah? We're going to do some Bible reading at church next week. Matthew, scripture reading next week. Praise the Lord. All right? King Uzziah. Okay, let's, let's, let's read from Scripture then. Hopefully by the end of tonight you'll know. Chapter 26 of Second Chronicles speaks about this king. It says, And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot the arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped Till he, till he became strong. So this was a really powerful king. In fact, scholars say that he was one of the most powerful kings um, of the Jewish empire. He, his, his empire stretched way past Egypt. Um, it was even bigger than King Solomon, apparently. How do you know that a king was a good king? If you read the scriptures. What is the phrase, the Bible gives us clues, as I said. What is the clue that the Scriptures give, or what is the, what is the phrase that the Scriptures 
used to tell us that this was a king. A good king. Who can tell me? Think of the good kings. Who are the good kings of the Old Testament? Israel prospered. Okay, well, that was the result. But before that, it gives us a clue of who were good kings. So let's, let's, let's name a couple of good kings. King David. That's a good place to start. Okay. Then who's next? Solomon started good. He ended. Not so great. Okay. Then there was a king in the middle that was a really good king. King? We'll come back to Uzziah in a second. Who, remem- who remembers Hezekiah? He was a good king. So, you'll read through the book of Chronicles and the books of Kings. You'll come across a lot of good kings. No, you'll come a lot of, across a lot of bad kings, actually. But there were some good kings. And the scripture, every time it says, here's a good king, it will say, it will say the following words. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, how do you know if it was like a really good king? Is it, there's a second step. Who knows? Second? Okay, okay, that's, yeah, that could, that's sort of like a subsection of the first part, yes. You said? He was blessed. Again, that's a result. He was obedient, but how, Jamie? Tell us how. He removed the high places. Okay? So we see a lot of idolatry. We see this, this an epic story. You know, some of the greatest movies um, are still to be made, I believe. Because they're in Scripture. I mean, we see some of the cool movies that, that are from Scripture. But I believe there's so many greatest stories that we're going to still see. Because the Bible is so rich, so many amazing stories. But you look at these kings and you'll see um, that some of them were reformers. Some of them started and it says that they were good. But a really good king would go and go onto the high places and take down all the, the idols, the false altars, the altars of Baal um, and the altars of Astero. And, and they would destroy these altars and that would, that would usher in a reformation um, into the nation and then we see all the fruit. The nation is blessed. They prosper. They, they um, you know, God protects them. Um, from their enemies. So that's how we know. Now, King Uzziah, he was one of the kings that the scripture says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And God blessed him amazingly. That's, like, like I said, his, his empire was massive. God blessed him in such a way um, that they could do amazing things um, in his life. He did not take... Um, down the high places though. So he was not as good a king as, as David or Hezekiah or some of the others. But something that stands out, in fact, the name of this king Uzziah, who knows what his name means? His name means Yah is strong. Yah is strong. In other words, Yahweh, in other words, God is strong. That's a cool name. Who wants that to be your name? That's a good name. Right, so here we see in verse 15, the scripture gives us a clue. It says he was marvelously helped by God. Who wants to be marvelously helped by God? Yes, put up your hand quickly. Right, we want to be marvelously helped by God. And that's the place that 
Uzziah had. It's incredible. God marvelously helped him. He did things that were completely impossible in the natural, but God had blessed him, and so it was possible. And then we see the scripture gives us that little hint, till he became strong. There was a shift in the emphasis. Initially it was, Yah is strong. Then it became, Uzziah is strong. The Yah fell away. Do you see what happened? And then, then the scripture it gives us that clue. It, it, it shows us what happened. I'll come back to that in a second. But then verse 16 it says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Powerful words. And he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So, Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah, and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You have no honor for the Lord. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. The sad thing of that story is that king died in that state. No, no, no scenario like David, he, he did a horrible sin. I mean, if you think of it, at least morally, it's worse what David did, right? He, um, he slept with a married man's wife and then he killed the guy. I'd say that's pretty bad. Right? But yet he ended well. Right? Yet he came to God in complete surrender, complete repentance. And you know, he fasted, he, he, he repented, and he, he cried out to God. And then we see the restoration. See, God is, is always the God that wants to restore. He's always the God of the second chance. He wants to give us a second chance, but it's at that point of failure. The question is, how do we respond? Right? Do we respond as worshippers? Or do we respond and have that focus stay on us and our sin? And you're going to see, you're going to see what happened in a second. But Uzziah, let, let's, let's just take a step back. Because in order for us to completely understand what happened in the life of Uzziah, and then in the new covenant, in today's um, relationship with God, we need to understand the role of the human heart in our relationship and in life. And so we, we learn a lot of things from the scriptures about the human heart. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, From the human heart, the issues of life flow. The issues of life come from one place, and that is the heart. All right? So, the, the scripture continues and encourages us to what? Do, with, do what with our hearts? Guard our hearts. Right? Because if we do not, issues. Right? So, we need to protect our hearts. Our hearts are crucial. Um, and we need to keep them 
the scripture says, with diligence. Proverbs 13, verse 12, a desire unfulfilled makes the heart sick. Right? The heart can come, become sick and um, to further extremes, your physical body can even get sick because of the state of your heart. Eventually, if the heart is not in a good place, your physical body can be affected in many ways. Um, simple examples are stress and anxiety. I'm going to have a lot of effects on our lives. An extreme example is like with King Uzziah. He actually became leprous. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. It's quite a depressing scripture, don't you think? Right? The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. Luckily, there's good news in Jesus. Amen? John chapter 14 verse 27 a lack of peace results in a troubled heart. So you see, for us as New Testament believers, if you take Jesus out of the picture, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty bad. It's pretty depressing, right? But Jesus comes to forgive us of our sins. Jesus comes to heal our hearts. Jesus comes um, to make our spirits new. So that the center of the human person is no longer the deceitful heart, but the spirit that in us cries out, Abba Father. Alright? So he does that renewal. But now you see the effect of the heart. Now look at, look at Uzziah. And I want to contrast Uzziah with, with two people. Firstly, Isaiah, the first scripture that we saw. And secondly, um, the prophet Elijah. We're going to come back to them in a moment. But let's look at what happened. Let's, let's sort of retrack, retrace through what happened. So, so, like I said, the scripture gives us hints of what happened. So this is just my take. This is my reading of the scripture. I'm not saying it's exactly what happened. But as I read the story, I sort of get a sense of what must have happened in this king's life. He did what was right. God blessed him. He became strong. Right? And then at a point, the scripture very clearly says his heart was lifted up in himself. What, is, what does that phrase mean? Pride. He had pride in his heart. He thought it's about him and not the one that got him where he is. Okay? Now, I believe he continued. And now suddenly he had lots of power. Right? He had armies. He had people. He had officials. He had lots of um, uh, money, finances, resources, everything. He could do what he wanted to do. And so suddenly things became easier. His heart was lifted up. But he knew, in, in some sort of way, he knew what got him where he is. And that was the blessings of God. Now, in the Old Testament, what resembles the blessing of God? Or how do you know... Um, you know, what is the pinnacle of the blessing of God? Um, that is the temple and the inner room and the most holy of holies. Because if the priests sacrificed, um, that brought blessing on the people. When the priests took in the lambs, it forgave the sins of the people. So he wanted the blessing. And by the way, it talks about the, the incense altar. What is the incense altar today? Prayer. If you read the book of Revelations, it talks about um, 
the prayers of the saints are like incense before the Lord. Right? So that's so that place resembled answered prayer. That place resembled the blessing of God. So what was Uzziah's big sin is he wanted the blessing of God in his way. He was no longer willing to do it God's way. And so I believe he really became frustrated because no longer could he get what he wanted. Um, and, you know, he, he, he didn't want to do it God's ways because his heart was lifted up in himself. And I believe at the end of his life, his heart was in a very bad place. I believe his heart was sick. Like um, what's it? Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, his heart was sick. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so I believe when he, when he ran into the incense altar, what was in his heart, the sickness on his heart, in his heart, manifested on his skin. Coming into God's presence. Suddenly, what was hidden, because what is in the heart is hidden, but suddenly he couldn't hide it anymore. It just came out everywhere. Right? And again, the sad news was that's the way that he died. Three, two elements of um, the life of Isaiah is the first one is the lack of understanding of his own and divine instituted limitations. He didn't understand, even though he was the king, he didn't realize that in God's equation, he has limitations. In his pride, in, in, in the state of his heart, he thought he could do what was the divine um, calling of the priests. He could do that. So he did not have a respect for what God had instituted. And secondly, we see the scripture, when the priests come in, um, it says that he was angry. In fact, it uses the phrase, he was furious when the priests tried to stop him. So in other words, his heart was in such a bad place that he actually had anger issues. He had uncontrollable anger. Again, indicating the state of his heart. Now, let's contrast this firstly with the prophet um, Elijah. Now, um, my, me and my children, we've been watching this story. In fact, um, we believe God has been speaking to us about this one story because every time um, we, we open the Bible or we read a story, it's just like we come to this story. So they've been saying, Daddy, you know, why are we always reading this story? You know, it's like no one's planned it. I don't think let's read this story just every time. So we're like, God, are you saying something to us? Um, but it's, it's the story of the fire that comes from heaven on the altar. Martina shared the scripture, right, of the altar. So we know the story. Um, Isaiah, or sorry, Elijah uh, decrees a drought. Because, again, there was an evil king, King Ahab. And he was one of the worst kings. Not the worst, but one of the worst. Right? He did what was wrong in God's eyes. His wife was a terrible woman. Um, that had lots of um, occultic prophets. Um, you know, did lots of evil things. I don't want to go into the details. But in any case, he stepped up and he decreed, um, decreed a drought of the land. Um, and like every case, when God really preaches in power in the Old Testament, it's always to demonstrate to His people, firstly, how much He loves them, but how much stronger He is 
Because the prophets or the, um, the evil, um, or the, the, the false prophets um, that the king funded and supported and promoted was the, um, was the false god Baal. And he was the god of fertility. In other words, he was the one that brought the rain. Right? And so God stopped the rain to make a point. I think it's a pretty good point. I don't know if you've read the story of the Exodus the, the, um, in, in, in Egypt where God delivered his people. And every time, I'm going to read the story, but um, there were different, several gods in Egypt. If you've studied um, Egyptian religion, you'll understand that the miracles are not just nice miracles or you know, creative thoughts that God came up with. No, they were very specific miracles targeted um, at the gods, Osiris, Isis, um, the god Seth. Um, they, they all resembled something that God had just, you know, decided he's going to show, show himself strong to his people and actually prove a point to, to, to Pharaoh to get his attention. But in any case, so we see that, that he calls the drought and then, then he gathers the people. God sends him back, provides for him supernaturally, sends him back to King Ahab, and then they gather all the people, all the prophets of Baal, they build the one altar, they build, and, and, and Elijah builds his altar, and um, there were lots of the prophets of Baal, and they tried to cut themselves, they pleaded with God from the morning to the evening, um, they could get nothing right there, God could not respond. And we know the story, Elijah comes, he takes his altar, and he says, come bring some water, let's, let's Let's make this a clear victory. Right, let's make this proper. Let's throw some water on this, this altar. Say again. Seven urns. Good stuff. I see. Great stuff. <laughs> well done for that. So he, he pours this water on and then he, he prays to his God. And it's not even hours. It's not minutes. It's immediately. The fire comes down from heaven. It's a beautiful image of, of, of New Testament Christianity. We're going to talk about that now. But, but we see the, the contrast. We see the difference between Uzziah and um, Elijah. Both of them wanted the benefits of God. But only one of them got it. Because one of them chose to do it, do it God's way. All right? And, and, and the difference is not the fact that the one's a prophet, the one's a king. The difference was in the state of the heart of the prophet. Alright? So now, back to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he sees God. Then he has this vision of this amazing God. And as he sees God... The train of his rope fills the temple, he says. And it's, it's this incredible encounter that he has after King Uzziah died. Now, um, but then it says something very interesting and very powerful. The first response that we see, so that the, the text tells us about the scene. It describes the scene, describes the angels, describes um, this, this scene of God. Um, actually, j- jump a couple of slides back to that picture. I don't know if you've seen this image. Quite, it's quite just helps us to shift our paradigms. Sometimes we have these pictures um, of how it looked like. And um, 
I don't think it particularly uh, specifically looked like that, but I do feel this image helps us just to break the boxes. But it was an incredible scene where God, where, where, um, God revealed himself um, to Isaiah. But then you see the first response, and we're going to get practical soon. The first response of Isaiah was to say, what, what was his words? Woe is me. Quite interesting. Quite interesting. Why did he, why did he focus on himself? Why did suddenly he become aware of himself? The reason for that is very simple. In God's presence, he became aware of his lack, his inability. He thought he was the prophet because we read it in chapter 6. So he was already a prophet by then. This was actually his calling. But he was already working in the prophetic. So Isaiah thought he was this prophet of God. Until, until he came into the presence of God and then he just cried out, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king and he realizes who he is in the light of the king. So this is true worship and this is the bottom line for tonight. Jesus says um, the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Now, the truth is the following. The truth is self-awareness. You cannot worship God properly um, or like Jesus wants us to worship Him unless you are aware of who you are in the light of God. You can worship like King Uzziah with a heart lifted up thinking you are the greatest, you are the best king that has lived, because actually the facts say that you are the best king that has ever lived. But when you enter the presence of God, you are nothing, because He's so incredible. This God is so big. He's massive, right? And so that's the first part of what Jesus says. He says those that worship God will worship Him in truth. Knowing who they are. So it starts with self-awareness. It starts with the ability to know what is the state of my heart. What is my position. Um, when you suddenly become aware of, listen, maybe there's some things in my heart that need to be surrendered to God. Maybe there's some things in my heart that need to be healed. And maybe there's some things in my heart that I just need to bring before God and say, God, I humble myself. Before your mighty hand. The scripture then says, He will lift you up. Now the Bible does not say, He will humble you and then lift you up. That's a bad place to be. You choose to humble yourself before His mighty hand and then He will lift you up. Alright? But we must worship Him in truth. Um, Dr. Nico from Indonesia, he shared a story. I think I shared this previously, but it's so powerful story. He's part of this um, massive church, more than 5,000 congregations in Indonesia, part of a massive revival of more than a million Muslims coming to Christ every year in Indonesia. Um, the, the churches have literally exploded. But he tells a story, he was one of the, you know, not the, there were lots of churches, but not close compa closely compared to what there is now. But he, was, he started a church or took over a church in the 90s 
um, and his church grew rapidly. And at a point, um, God said to him, now actually a couple of people said to him, um, Nico, you have pride in your life. And he said, he heard what the people said, but he didn't feel proud or pride in his heart. He didn't feel it. And so a couple of people said it to him and he sort of ignored it. And then God said to him, Nico, you have pride in your heart. And again, he said, he, he heard God, but it didn't feel like he had pride in his heart. It so stood out to me, that, that, that phrase. But he said, because, because he loves God, he, he, just, he just responded. He just said, well, maybe this is the case. Maybe it's possible that I'm not feeling it, but it's still the truth because God says it's the truth. So he responded from that place, and he, and he did what God said. And God gave him three incredibly difficult tasks to do. The first one was to drop the name of the church that he represented. And I've been to Indonesia and to Jakarta. Really difficult to find the church because there's no name. The name of the church on the internet, it's really difficult to find it in, actually because, um, um, you know, because it's a Muslim nation. It's also difficult. But the name of the church is church in their language. You know, so you get really confused. Which one? Which one? You know, church. Any case, um, he dropped the name. He says they would, they would just they had such a momentum. And so it was a very difficult decision to make to drop the name. But he said he had to be obedient. And so the second thing God said to him is go to all the pastors of the churches that you hurt. Because they were, they were, um, they were growing so fast. Not that it was the intention, but the result was that they hurt a lot of smaller churches um, in the process of, you know, people coming to them. So God said to him, go to those pastors and repent. And again, he says, this was really difficult. In fact, this was more difficult because he was this pastor of this big church, planting churches already all over, and he had to go to some small churches, go to the pastor and repent. Very humbling moment for him. And so... He said, again, because I'm a worshiper, I'll just respond. And so he went to these pastors and he repented, repented, repented. And he says, after that, it was amazing what had happened. God restored relationships with pastors. And then there was such a unity in Jakarta. And he says, then a spirit of revival came over that city. And an incredible um, growth happened in that city and even in the nation um, as we see today. Um, and they, they planted hundreds of hundreds of churches um, since, since that day. But what, what, what struck me of that testimony was one, the power of humility. It's really true. It's really true. It's really about God. We need to remind ourselves. You know what's the difficult thing about fast, Fasting. Sometimes we, we struggle to fast because we think, well, fasting will not move the hand of God. It's not fasting that moves the hand of God. It's faith. Of course, that is truth. But it's, it's exactly because of that reason that fasting is so powerful. Because when we fast, we're saying, God, it's, it's only you that can do it. It's not by my strength. It's by my surrendering that it happens. It's not that I can move your hand. In fact, by my strength, I cannot move your hand. 
but it's by my weakness that you choose to move your hand. In fact, the state of my heart limits the working of God, as we saw in the, in the life of King Uzziah. The pride in his heart made God stop that blessing that he so desperately wanted, right? Because of the state of his heart. So secondly, Jesus says, those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We spoke about truth. Truth is self-awareness. And it, it doesn't help we just stop there. It doesn't help we just stop with the fact that, that I realize all my inabilities. I realize all my iniquities. I realize my um, generational baggage. I realize um, what I'm not. That's, that's, that's not enough, right? We're going to stay in a place of woe is me. Right? We can't, we can't end there. We must worship God in spirit. Now, where, where truth is a self-awareness in the light of God, spirit is a God-awareness. So we must worship Him in, in knowing who we are in the light of Him and, and knowing who He is. Becoming aware of this awesome God that we serve. And then God becomes. He comes and He... He wraps himself around us. Then God comes and he, and he fills our hearts. And he fills us with his true strength. I want us to stand tonight. And I want us to just present our hearts before God. Tonight is not an intellectual message. Tonight is to the heart. Straight to the heart because you know what? Jesus, he wants the heart. He's looking at the heart. Man looks at the outward. Man is swayed by eloquence of speech. Man is swayed um, by outward appearance. Man is swayed by the apparent success. God is interested in the heart. He just looks to the heart to see if he can use this man or this woman. And then he can do anything. In fact, the scripture says, we read it this morning, but God, in fact, chooses to use the weak of this world um, so that no one would boast in flesh, so that we could give glory to God, so that He would be lifted up. So I want us just to bring our hearts before God. We're going to allow God to be God. We're going to worship Him in, in, in spirit, but first, first we're going to have a truth moment. We're going to say, God, show me what is in my heart. Before I get to the incense altar, before I get to the most holy of holies, I don't want to get there and the inside of my heart be exposed outward. But I want to choose to humble myself before I get there. We're not done with this message. We'll continue it in a couple of weeks' time. God is busy, I believe. He's busy with our hearts. And that picture of Elijah is powerful because in the New Testament, we are on that altar. The Apostle Paul says, I am a living sacrifice. In other words, you get on the altar. But you cannot provide the fire. God is the fire. You see the power of that 
symbolism. You are the sacrifice. He provides the fire. He brings His empowerment. He brings the enablement of His Spirit. It's not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. But bring your heart to God tonight. and Say, God, what is in my heart? Help me to see. Help me to become aware. Self-awareness is an aspect of emotional intelligence. It's the ability to understand what am I feeling, what am I going through, what is upsetting me right now. We as believers need to be the most aware people of ourselves, of all people. Because we have got spirit in us. And so Holy Spirit, right now, as we God come, not just to, not to receive information tonight, not to get a little good message, but God to be transformed by your spirit. Father, tonight, and I want you to join in your heart tonight. God, tonight, our desire is that you would send your fire as we come to present ourselves on the altar. God, tonight we're not interested in just walking out here enriched, walking out here with more information. God, bring your fire on the altar. God, consume us with your glory. God, bring us to that place where Isaiah was, where he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Matthew said it earlier. When we see Jesus, like really see Jesus, everything changes. Jesus, show us your glory. Why don't you say that? Just cry it out where you're standing. Don't wait for me to lead you. Just begin to cry out to Jesus. If that's the cry of your heart, begin to cry out. Say, God, I don't care about the person next to me. I want you. I want your fire. I want your presence. Cry out to Him. And bring your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Rabba Sindrama. Vodbahanda Basianama. O Sindre Behenda Basanama. Rabba Sundrama Sindime. Urubasinda Hadrama Sunama. Thank you, Jesus. Come with your spirit in this place, Lord. With your God awareness, Lord. Make us aware of who you are. Shine your light into our hearts, God.
again, we cannot force God's hand. We can just surrender. We can just surrender to Him. Just in your own words, in your own way. You know Jesus. Surrender yourself before Him. There's three people here tonight. When Jesus walks after his crucifixion, when he rose from the dead three days later, he walked with two men down the road. He spoke to them, broke the scriptures open. And then it says, when, they, when Jesus had left and departed, they realized within themselves that their hearts were burning on the inside. I believe that there's people, you're almost like you're feeling that burning already. And that's the first encounter with Jesus is the fact that our hearts burn. But then there's the second encounter with Jesus where the flame again moves from the inside out. And that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about that day when you got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't and that could be you as well. But I'm talking about when the inside moves outward. That which is happening in your heart manifests around you. Talking about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not just there that day when you started speaking in tongues. He's here and He's every moment around us, God with us. And so these three people, God showed me that the, the fire is in your heart but He's going to baptize you and you. It's almost like you're feeling your heart burning. It's that cleansing that the, the fire in your heart is doing. It's like Isaiah says that, that he said, well, after he said, woe is me, there was an angel that came with the, with the coal of fire that touched his lips. And as it touched his lips, his, his mouth was, was clean. I believe that God is doing with three specific people here. He's cleansing your heart. And I want you just to agree with, with what the Holy Spirit is doing by just responding to heaven. And I want you to raise your hands to the heavens. Saying, Jesus, thank you for this work on the inside of me. Thank you. Those three hands. Father, we, we bless these, your servants, God. Thank you, Father, that you fill them with your fire you fill them with your glory now in Jesus name fill her God inflame her God from the top of her head to the soles of her feet God set her ablaze for your glory Lord more Jesus more Lord thank you Jesus
thank you for your glory, Lord. Thank you, God, that you fill him anew, fill him afresh, God. Thank you, God, that it's your anointing that breaks the yoke. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. More, Lord. More, Lord. Thank you, more, Lord. More in Jesus' name. Thank you, more, Lord. Just receive. Just receive from you. Receive. Receive more, Lord. Increase it, Lord. Thank you, more. More, 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 more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, more, Lord. More now in Jesus' name. Top of his head to the soles of his feet be filled with the Lord's fire. All inhibitions to be gone. Oh, Holy Spirit. God, I bless this that you're doing. we speak to his heart we say receive we activate this gift that is inside you in Jesus name let's just keep an attitude of worship to worship. I want to pray for someone here. It's a sense that, that your heart is motivated with guilt. Your heart is, something's accusing you. You so desire God, but it's like every time you just open yourself up to God, there's these accusations that come. 
every time you want to come to him, you just hear these thoughts. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You, you, you can't come before him because you're not good enough. I want to break those lies over you. And while every eye is closed, if that's you tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer over you and God's going to break those lies. He's going to take away the guilt. He's going to take away the condemnation, the guilt and the shame. While every eye is closed, if that's you, just raise your hand so I can see. Just keep your hands raised, please. Again, the indication is to God. The indication is to God saying, God, I'm doing this in your way. I'm not doing it as as King Isaiah in my own way, but I'm doing it as, as Isaiah and Elijah. I'm doing it in your way, in obedience. And so when God speaks to you, when He points His finger on your heart, we respond immediately. A worshiper responds. And we don't wait for later because God, when He speaks, He's, he's about to do something. So I want you to respond with your hands raised to the heavens. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of giving up and giving to God. So Father, we pray of a, these, your sons and daughters responding. God, we thank you that the battle is the Lord's. God, the battle does not belong to them. But in raising their hands, they are surrendering now. Father, we choose to give up fighting for ourselves. God, we choose up. We choose to give up proving ourselves. But we come in total surrender to the King. And we say, Jesus, come and cleanse us. Jesus, come and make us new. Jesus, save us from this cycle of trying and trying and trying. Save us, Jesus, from strife. Save us from doing things in our own strength. God, we choose to humble ourselves. We choose to do it your way. Come, Jesus. Come have your way. And God, now in the name of Jesus, we break every lie. We stop every accusation against God's people. We remove the guilt. We remove the shame. And we thank you, God, that we can declare, as your word says, you can come freely through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. I want us to pray together tonight. We're not gonna, we don't have time for communion. But the Bible says, do this regularly. Jesus says, do this often. Often remember the finished work of the cross. I want us just to where you're standing. I want you to thank the Lord for the blood, for His body. Because that's where our strength lies. That's where the victory is. He has overcome. So just where you're standing, just thank you, Jesus, for your body that cleanses, or your blood that cleanses me, that washes me, your body that heals me. Thank you, Lord.